Hello, readers. Coming up, it's my chat with Tim Shriver about the call to unite. Wanted to let you know that if you enjoyed this conversation or any of my author chats enough to buy the book, I've made it simple for you. Just click on the book title through the episode description wherever you're listening to this podcast, and it takes you to a link to buy it through bookshop.org. I love bookshop.org because it connects readers with independent bookstores. And for the latest on this show, follow us on social media. That's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Books on Pod. Hey, this is Mike Ayers, author of One Last Song, Conversations on Life, Death, and Music. You're listening to Books on Pod with Trey Elling. Hello, readers. Tim Shriver is the founder of Unite, the longtime chair of Special Olympics, and a best-selling author. He's also the co-editor of the new book, The Call to Unite, Voices of Hope and Awakening. Tim, thank you for the time today. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Great to be with you. Absolutely. So what inspired you to put together The Call to Unite? Well, I think, look, I, the, the main thing was that our country, so many friends of mine just are in pain, struggling, fearful about the future, grieving, you know, not just the pandemic and the losses and the fear that comes with the pandemic, but the deeper division in our country. So many people just struggling, sad, discouraged. And I thought to myself, you know, there's another side of this. And, you know, when you dig, peel back the layers of the onion, people are doing beautiful things and they want different things and we're starving for a new story. So I said, Let's give it a shot. Let's ask people to tell a different story, not the story of hatred and venom and hopelessness, but a story of hope and awakening. And this book is what came out of it. You know, folks, everyone from, you know, ex-presidents to people who've spent time in solitary confinement in prison, people who are very, very well financially off to people who are homeless, um, all telling up stories, as, as the title says, of hope and awakening. And I felt like I know I needed it. And um um, a lot of people I know have responded the same way. Thank God we've got something that gives us hope. You really did get the contributions from people from a variety of walks of life. Who was the first person that you reached out to to see if they might be willing to contribute an essay to this book? Well, honestly, the first person, and I have to give her so much of the credit for making the rest of it possible, was Oprah. I uh, you know, I was talking to her and we were going back and forth a little bit about what was going on and what was going to happen in the country. And we both honed in on this idea that we were living not just a political crisis, not just an economic crisis, but also a spiritual crisis. That's not words that are in the book, but it spoke to not religion, but to the idea that our spirit has been crushed. And when we said that, I said, well, can you, w- will you help? And she said, yes. And then, you know, uh, I, you know, we all know how the world works. Uh, the next couple of calls, I was like, well, Oprah said yes. And everybody's like, oh, OK, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it a lot easier. But uh, in fairness to many of the people, it wasn't just that there were other people, prominent people in the book, but that they themselves had something to say that they didn't have another outlet to say it in. And that's really what comes through here. The honest, authentic, really true story that people have about themselves and about how they get through how they deal with the anxiety, how they deal with fear, how they deal with division, uh, how they deal with pain. And um, there just wasn't another place to put it. So they, uh, people, over 100 people graciously said, here's my contribution. And uh, that's the book. Was there any one contribution that especially blew you away, Tim? You know, that's like asking a parent who their favorite kid is. Um, <laughs> What, what I love about the book is that no matter, and I've said this to a couple of people, no one's taken me up on it. I said, look, 
check out the book, open it to any page. If you don't like what you read on any page, send me the book and I'll send you your money back. That's how powerful it is when you ask people to tell the true story of who they are, not the story that you hear on cable news, not the story that you hear on headlines of disaster and recrimination and you know vitriol and hate you know and outrage but the real story of who people are it's be, i mean i hate to say it it sounds so trite but people are beautiful deep down you know not i know not everybody but most of us have a beautiful spot deep down and, and most of the people who contributed accessed that part of themselves and they shared it you know amy grant writes in the book that she shares the meditation she's used for a good part of her life to help her through but she says in the beginning, I'm scared to share this because I think people might mock me or might make fun of me. And then she goes on to share it. And it's both, both sentiments are powerful that we're sometimes scared to tell people the deepest part of ourselves. And when we do, it's beautiful. <laughs> uh, and, I, you know, people will say, well, what does this have to do with racism? What does this have to do with cancel culture? What does this have to do with our politics? It's all screwed up. And I think it has a lot to do with all those things, but mostly it has to do with giving us, each of us and us together, a sense that we can trust and hope in each other. Well, this is so especially important just because of the amount of vitriol that you talk about that has been spewed over the last, I mean, it's been going on for a long time now, but it seems like it really accelerated over the last five years to where we're so dug in now with our viewpoints. And it could be politics or it could be something completely different. And it's perpetuated by this ability to maintain a sort of anonymity via social media and whatnot, to have people actually come together and say, look, these are the reasons why we should be thankful for this world that we live in, and we shouldn't be afraid to have these conversations with one another, even if you don't necessarily agree. Maybe you walk away from that conversation having a better understanding as to why that person may feel a certain way. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, it's interesting when you use the metaphor that we're dug in. And I think that's true. But I think a lot of when you dig in, uh, you're afraid, right? You dig down deep because you're afraid of incoming, right? Who's going to attack you? Who's going to take a pot shot at you? Um, digging out, maybe that's a good metaphor. We need to not dig in, but dig out. And digging out means we take a chance. We listen. Uh, you know, Dr. Rita Walker has a beautiful selection in the book about her advice. She's a mental health professional, a genius. And she says, you know, try the ABCs. First, and maybe these are ABCs of digging out. First, assume you have something to offer, which a lot of people already trade. They don't think so, right? What do I have? I'm too small. I can't make a difference. A is assume you can make a difference. B is be a good listener. That's what you just said, right? Listen to understand, not to argue. And then her C is the hard one, cancel judgment. Assume you can help be a good listener and cancel judgment. Those are in, in the baby steps of digging out rather than digging in. And I, I don't know, you know, when I, I've sent this book to some friends that I've kind of, uh, one friend in particular, I'd kind of lost contact with over all these divisions. And we already had a really beautiful conversation. So I think it's a really good way to help us take, again, the first steps. Uh, and look, that's all we can do right now. We have to just take first steps. We're not going to sweep all of this pain under the rug, nor should we. But we've got to take steps towards figuring out how to heal it, not just make it worse. 
One of my favorite entries, Tim, as a food nerd was from Chef Jose Andres, whose yes, beautiful. essay is titled An Empathy Explosion. And he talks about taking food into a downtown area and seeing the homelessness going on there and him just really trying to recognize what those people are going through. Have you had a specific moment throughout your life that really let you know what somebody else is going through and allowed you to empathize with the plight of another human being? Well, I'd just say, you know, last week I was, uh, the, the church I attend has reopened and I was walking out uh, after a Sunday mass in, in my tradition. And I started talking to a guy who was sort of sitting in the back pew. And, you know, within a few minutes he shared with me that his mother had just died and then his aunt had just died and he'd lost his job in COVID. Um, and that, you know, he was struggling to find a place to live. And he didn't, he didn't ask me for anything. He didn't ask me for anything. Hmm. He, he, it wasn't a, it wasn't a play, you know. Sometimes we, well, oh, he's taking you for a ride and stuff like that. But it was just an, it's just, it's just a human being telling his story, and you know, one thing led to another, and we're we're working a little bit together on a project. But I don't know. I just felt like so humbled by his trust in me, um, that in a moment in his life where he'd suffered so much loss and was dealing with so much uncertainty. For whatever reason, uh, he he was willing to share that with me, and you know, hopefully, I'm able to share something back with him of my vulnerability. Um, but you know, I, he's not a homeless man. He's not a victim. Um, uh, he's Dwayne. You know, that's that's who he is. He's got a name. He's got a story. He's got a beautiful smile. He's got a extraordinary desire to work and and dig his way out of this he's got a real tenderness so i think sometimes we get into statistics how many people are homeless how many people are hungry how many people are lost their jobs and it just is a bunch of numbers for me uh when we get from the numbers to the face to the name to the truth of each other you know there's not a there's not many things we can't solve if if we're in it together Obviously, financial struggles have been a big deal over the last 13 months now. Another has been what has happened to the education system, and Julia Roberts contributes an essay that is titled Never Returning to the Classroom. And the point that she makes in this is that we need to do everything we can to get our kids' education back on track. Is that one of the biggest worries for you right now is what happens with our public education system because of everything that schools and teachers and students have been through over the last year plus now? Well, there's no question. Esther Wojcicki in the book also, in addition to Julia Roberts, she writes about the needing to return to classrooms and, and teach uh, compassion. Uh, our kids have been through a brutal period, tens of millions of them, not just one group. Uh, almost all of our children are suffering what Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren calls a tsunami of grief. Um, and so we do need them back in school. We need them back face to face. We need them back in their books. We need them back learning math and reading and discovering poetry and art and history and civics and so on. But we need a recommitment to the social and emotional learning of children. And we need to have almost a Marshall plan for our kids. You know, our kids are not Republican or Democratic kids. There's no, they're not black or white kids. They're not rich or poor kids. They're kids. And I think our country... Uh, regardless of what party you're in, I think we need another call to unite, honestly. 
to invite Americans of all walks of life, rich, poor, the whole nine yards, everyone, return, help our kids come back from this, you know, help, let's build our children's strength back, their emotional, their physical, their relational trust in the future back uh, during this summer and into the fall. I think it's desperately needed. I think the book, as you point out, has beautiful selections on this from Julia Roberts and Esther and others. Um, but it should remind us, everything in this book should remind us that there's so many things we can do. You mentioned Chef Jose Andres. Eva Longoria also says everyone can make a difference. Everyone can make a contribution. You pop that open on your bedside table and you read it for three days. I'm telling you, it changes the way you see the world. You think to yourself, gosh darn it, what have I been doing? Maybe I could help my neighbor. Maybe the kid living upstairs from me. Uh, would enjoy shooting baskets with me. Maybe the kid that I haven't talked to in a long time, maybe I'll call her up and see how her job hunt is going. You know, these are small things we can do for one another, regardless of what we may have, we can give. I'm not going to take for granted anybody that you may have given a personal call to, considering that the first call went to one Oprah Winfrey. I mean, Sean P. Diddy Combs makes contributions in this book. You mentioned the past presidents, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush. Common is in here, Arthur Brooks, and also His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Now, did you actually make a personal phone call to the Dalai Lama (laughs) to get him to— Yeah, we talked, we chatted, he told me about the weather— uh, we talked to his secretaries. I did not talk to his okay. holiness. Uh, All right. We're very grateful that he contributed, uh, but I did not speak to him directly. He, during the pandemic, has been really almost removed. Even getting recording equipment into where he is was a challenge just because they, um, people around him have been so uh, rightfully protective of his health. So, no, I didn't talk to him. I didn't talk to a lot of people. A lot of people just offered through their agents, through friends of friends, uh, contributions and uh, and a willingness to uh, join the movement. Was there anybody that you were a little bit nervous to actually talk to or hear from with regards to whether or not they might be willing to contribute to the call to unite? I was nervous about everybody. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was excited, you know, about people. I mean, I was so thrilled the other just uh, last week I got to talk to Bishop Jakes uh, about his contribution to the book one of these searing lines in the book where he writes pain leaves a gift pain always leaves a gift and he wrote this in the context of funerals and uh, enormous grieving in his congregation but he says I don't run from pain I run to it because I want the gift I want to know I want to know how to learn. I want to know how to deepen. I want to know how to become wiser. I want to know how to become more compassionate, more tender. Pain teaches these gifts. And oh my God, when he said that, I was just like, oh, you know, someday I hope to have that kind of tenderness and and strength uh, and courage. Uh, so there were a lot of people I was just awed by, you know, really just stunned by. Daniil Schmall, the nurse in here, you know, she she shared with us how she was just at her wit's end as a nurse, you know, first within the ICU and then giving people ventilators and then intubating and then having to accompany people through their last breath with no family over and over and over again and just losing it at a certain point, just like sobbing her guts out. Um in the back of an Uber because she couldn't go home. You know, she couldn't, she was on her way to a hotel. 
And she said to the Uber driver, I don't know if people understand what we're going through. And the driver said to her, how could we if you don't tell us? Hmm. Oh, so she did. And millions of people, she did a video, millions of people saw the video and reached out to her and just gave her a sense in which she wasn't alone. Um, so there were so many people who just blew me away. But, you know, I think anybody listening knows this, that there's a person in your neighborhood, on your street, in your building, on your block, in your club, in your school, in your church, wherever. There's someone there that you haven't heard from yet, but you just know they've got wisdom. You know, they may be eight or 10 years old, they may be 80 or 90 years old, but you know they know the truth. You know they have words to heal you. They're in this book. They're here for you in this book. It's not that they're the only ones that are in the book that have that wisdom, but these people have have offered to remind you uh, that wherever you are, and a lot of people are hurting, uh, there's people out there with ideas and suggestions and, and a shoulder to, to help carry yours. And let's get through this together. Well, I feel like you're a great resource for words that can help inspire people as well, considering how long you've been serving as the chair of Special Olympics. What is the most profound thing for you about getting to serve the Special Olympics in such a leadership capacity? Well, I think it's the example of the athletes, honestly, Trey. You know, people say, I, I, I've, you know, sometimes people say to me, you're so nice. Uh, I, I was like, well, well, you guys, you don't, you don't understand, really. I mean, it's not your fault, but you don't understand. I, I get taught every day with the, from the athletes of Special Olympics about bold confidence in yourself. I get taught every day by athletes of Special Olympics, don't listen to the naysayers. Don't let them defeat you. Don't let them inside your heart, you know. I get taught every day by the athletes of Special Olympics that everybody has a gift. Everybody's beautiful. Loretta Claiborne, who's in the book, who's a Special Olympics athlete, said it to me just yesterday. You know, I, someone asked her, what's your mission? She said, my mission is to be a human being who sees the beauty in other human beings. Hmm. That's what I've learned from the athletes of Special Olympics. You know their oath, let me win. Almost everybody would have that as their oath. Let me win. But theirs goes on. Let me win. But if I cannot win, let me be brave in the attempt. I've learned bravery from these athletes. And that's what our country needs right now. Honestly, we need people to be brave in the attempt to heal and change and reinvent our country in a way that will be inclusive of everyone. It was interesting in reading some research last night in preparation for this interview that you actually had a role in the Johnny Knoxville movie, The Ringer. It's a film that I saw in theaters back when it was out. And that movie was so profound to me because it was not something that was necessarily trying to mock the individuals that Johnny Knoxville was quote unquote trying to act like to sneak his way into the uh, Special Olympics and ultimately he has that revelatory moment and feels terrible about what he does and you also get to use Special Olympians as, as part of the cast and crew in that film as well which I thought was pretty cool what initially got you involved in that film? Well, it's, uh, you know, it was produced by Peter and Bobby Farrelly. They came to us um, uh, when um, after they'd done something about Mary. It's kind of an interesting story. And in the which was their big hit film in, the, I guess, 90s. Um, and uh, 
one of the characters in Something About Mary was a person who appeared to have an intellectual disability. And, and a lot of people felt like he had been portrayed very negatively, that character. And they came to us. And the way Peter put it is, uh, I want to make another film because I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> 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 and, um, you know, uh, someone on our board, when he presented, said, this board can send you to hell if you, if you don't do it right. <laughs> but really, the, the, Peter wanted to do something where the characters were real and where the story was about the gifts of people with intellectual disabilities and their humor and their friendship and their joy and their spontaneity and their w capacity to change the world in a way that was funny and in a way that appealed honestly to young men who often would make jokes using the R word, what we call a retard, you know, who would make jokes about who would bully kids with special needs in school. Um, so The Ringer was an attempt to uh, kind of sneak into their consciousness in a way that would change the way they saw not just people who are different, but all kinds of difference. And I think it was a great success. And I think Peter is going to go to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting that the Fairleys felt that way because I spoke with W. Earl Brown, who played the Warren character in Something About Mary. And I actually rewatched Something About Mary before speaking with him. And that's a very endearing performance that he gives. And while you may have you know, some of the idiots in the film making fun of him, the hero in the film was sticking up for him. And ultimately, he wins Mary over because he wins Warren over as well. So I feel like that was an example of people not paying close enough to attention to what they were actually doing with that character in the film. And also, thinking about it, they did cast uh, individuals with special needs as some of Warren's friends as well. So they were trying to be uh, friendly. And They were, they were, they were. They uh, And Peter and Bobby are fantastic people. So uh, they were. Uh, I'm just glad they didn't hear your interpretation at the time, because then we would never would have gotten to make Ringer, though. Because they had a little bit of, uh, they had a little sense in which the Warren character... Um, wasn't exactly what they might have hoped for. But I think you're right. Look, a lot of times people misread one another. That's what this book is about. You know, a lot of people, we just misread. You know, we judge books by their cover, and we often judge wrong. Uh, and sometimes the people we're judging are sitting at our own kitchen tables, you know, and we get each other wrong all the time. Um, and too often we get each other wrong by assuming the worst in others. This is a book, like, uh, like, the, like the Ringer, where we look for the transformational power within each of us, the power to take pain and suffering and turn it into transformation and strength and bravery and wisdom for the future. And so uh, I, I think those films have done a great job and, and, and they're wonderful people. Um, that's what we're trying to do with this book. It's not it's not quite as funny as a great Farrelly Brothers movie, but I think it has the same message. <laughs> so now that the book is out and uh, there are obviously so many uh, different types of people who make such positive contributions, what do you think the next big step is in us getting this whole thing back on track, Tim? Well, I think we got to do a lot more media. We got to do a lot more. You know, the podcast world is going to grow. I think we got to tune out outrage media. I encourage people to turn off cable news uh, that is designed, I'm sorry to say, even though I, many friends of mine are in the business, uh, but news that's designed to make you hate other people is bad news. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not true. It's not, it's not the full story. So I think we got to tune out some of the, uh, and on social media, the same, when you see this stuff on social media, people accusing name calling hatred, uh, collapse the window and, and close it. 
don't go there. We, we just need to stop letting so much poison into our minds. And then we can start to build common purpose. We can build common purpose around fighting COVID. We can build common purpose around changing the way we think about public safety in our culture. We can build common purpose around our children and education, but we can't do it if we start with hatred and name calling. That's a sure recipe for failure. Uh, so I think there's something e each of us individually can do, and then there's things we can do collectively with, uh, with our faith-based organizations, civic organizations, and our own commitments to each other. Start the day out, as Loretta Claiborne says, maybe it's just as simple as saying hello to people. I know that sounds uh, easy, but eye contact and hello to the person at the coffee shop, to the homeless person outside, to the person in the elevator, you know, to the person on the street corner. Uh, maybe you do it 10 times and only two people answer, but for those two people, we start a wave and little, little, little by little, we'll make it a big one. Well, and especially because we've been denied that personal interaction for the last year now, and you're absolutely right about network news as well, by the way. Matt Taibbi spells it out so well in Hate, Inc. They really are aiming to exploit just those uh, deepest, darkest emotions of us with these stories and catchphrases and the gaslighting and everything that else that goes on in this world. And then you also have social media, too, that is specifically created to addict us. And a lot of times you addict us by getting us riled up about one thing or another. If you tune all of those things out, perhaps you'll tune in a little bit better to the world around you, whether it's your family or friends or uh, a complete stranger that, as you just mentioned, you pass by and you give some eye contact and a nod and a smile and say hello, and that might make their day a little bit better too. Well, that's that's what, the, you know, there's so many good examples in the book. Uh, uh, people uh, like Common, you know, telling you to listen deeply because, as he says, the sound of angels is what our souls hear. Hmm. Tune in. Tune in, gang. Uh, this country, we need to tune in to each other, to the deepest and best sense of ourselves. We, need, we don't just need compassion for others. We need compassion for ourselves. We've been through a lot. Uh, you know, Jay Shetty says beautifully, don't diminish anyone's pain. Respect. Uh, listen. Be in solidarity with other people's pain. Everyone's pain is real. Right. You don't judge it. Oh, they shouldn't bother. You know, or why is he upset? After all, he's got. No, no, no. If, if we're in pain, don't judge it. Don't diminish it. Be open to it. Listen to it. Let's take some steps forward. I mean, we've had this chance, this horrible burden of being locked up um, and so many people losing livelihoods and, and their lives. Let's come out a little bit more compassionate and a little more gentle. I think that's what the book invites us to learn how to do. Tim Shriver is the founder of Unite, the longtime chair of Special Olympics, and a best-selling author. His new book, one that he co-edited, is The Call to Unite, Voices of Hope and Awakening. Tim, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for this wonderfully important book. Really appreciate it, man. I really enjoy talking to you, and I hope your listeners stay tuned for more of what you're offering. It's really terrific. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Check out booksonpod.com to hear all of our episodes and subscribe to this podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave a five-star rating and review. Helps us grow the show. We'll talk to you next time on Books on Pod. <laughs>